Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The day, Christmas Eve. The place, Terminal 1, Lester B. Pearson International Airport in Toronto. And the mission, somehow, someway, get on a plane and fly to Vancouver in time for Christmas. Right, so it's Christmas Eve, and I'm here at Toronto Pearson Airport, and just Holy shit, I have never seen a lineup this big. So I just made it past security. I'm at the, like, inside the domestic terminal. And the line for the airline customer service is stretching longer than I think I've ever seen a line go before. I literally can't see the end of it. That lineup did not give me a lot of hope of making it home on time. Earlier that week, a snowstorm had basically shut down all flights into the lower mainland, And then on December 23rd, a storm hammered Toronto, canceling hundreds of flights. And look, I knew the airport was going to be chaotic, but I was not expecting this. So I'm just walking down a big kind of hallway with those those moving floors. I don't know what you call that. I still can't see the end of it. As far as I can see, everyone looks pretty calm. I'd be a lot more upset if I had to get delayed and wait in this line, but maybe I shouldn't speak too soon. I still don't know if I'm going to make my flight. It's already been delayed half an hour. I did a rough head count. There were at least 350 people waiting, and they were not moving. I knew that if I didn't make this flight, I'd be screwed. But all I could do was bide my time. Now, I hate airports, not just because they make me nervous for obvious melanin-related reasons, but because they're just so damn unpleasant. I'm just coming up to the end of this hallway where there's clearly not even close to enough seating for people. And so what you have is just this mass of humans kind of milling about, standing there. Some of them clearly worried. They don't want to go anywhere too far in case the plane starts boarding or something goes on. And as the minutes ticked by, all I could do was wait around and complain. Please just take me home. I don't want to have to be stuck here. All right, now I'm just bored. I've officially gotten used to just talking weirdly into this microphone. So this is basically what's keeping me entertained. Still don't know if my flight's leaving. You know what's one of the clearest examples of monopoly pricing that you can come across in your everyday life? It's just trying to buy food and drinks at the fucking airport. I paid $5 for this goddamn fizzy water. It just doesn't seem fair. Like, when they have you captured in here, they can charge you as much as they want. And, like, monopoly power is basically that. Anyways, fuck that. I'm used to paying a lot less for my fizzy water. I'm very annoyed. And there it is. They've announced another delay to the flight. So now it'll be apparently at 6.55. But how much do I believe that? I don't know. The plane did not leave at 6.55. 
literally just pacing around the airport now, talking into this stupid voice recorder. I think people think I'm crazy or, like, up to something. I've definitely gotten a few looks. And I slowly began to lose my mind. Because I'm leaving on a jet plane. I don't know when I'll be back again. Oh, babe, I hate to go. But finally, after two hours, just as I was about to resign myself to a sad Toronto Christmas, I got good news. Okay, they've announced that our flight is actually boarding. So I think I'm going to get out of here relatively unscathed. We'll see. And indeed, miracle of miracles, I was able to get on the plane and fly to Vancouver. When I did land in Vancouver, I walked into a scene like I've never witnessed before. So I made it over to YVR, thankfully, after three delays in the plane. Now I'm just at the baggage carousel, and wow, this is a baggage graveyard. There's still just hundreds of bags kind of lying around. I've seen an entire section of the baggage claim literally kind of walled off with this cardboard in which there's hundreds of bags behind. I see a, just so many just lying here everywhere as well. Anyways, wish me luck finding my bag in all this chaos. I made it home just in time for Christmas, luggage in hand. And I was one of the lucky ones. As I'm sure you've heard, or perhaps yourself experienced, many people had it far, far worse. We are seeing another wave of flight delays and cancellations at some of Canada's busiest airports this morning. Travel chaos rolling out across the country because of that big winter storm in Vancouver. But look, I have sympathy for the airlines. It's not like they can control the weather. And sure, a lot of passengers had to endure some terrible hardships. But this is Canada. We have rules in place for exactly these kinds of situations. Back in 2019, the Liberal government passed the Air Passenger Protection Regulations, which was ostensibly aimed at protecting Canadian air travelers. And so, I'm certain that those 350-odd people that I saw waiting at Pearson were all compensated fairly and left the experience maybe disappointed that they couldn't make their flights, but overall satisfied with the passenger-friendly system that we have in place. Okay, that's enough of that. So the last few weeks, of course, have been a total debacle. In fact, it's the third such debacle that Canadians have had to endure over just the last two years. And while we can't blame the airlines for COVID or winter storms, the complete abysmal failure of our consumer air passenger regulations, that is just another uniquely Canadian expression of monopoly power run amok. More after the break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they 
don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Now, if you've seen just about any news segment about air passenger rights in the last few weeks or hell, even in the last few years, you've probably heard from this guy. My name is Gabor Lukács. I'm the president of air passenger rights. I've been doing passenger rights for close to the past 15 years. Gabor is an unlikely consumer advocate. He's a mathematician by training. If someone told me in 2008 that I would be doing this in 2023, I would have laughed him out of my office. But he had some bad experiences with Canadian Airlines. And Gabor is a stubborn man. Back in 2005, I was a postdoctoral fellow at uh, Dalhousie, and I was going to attend two conferences in a row, one in Mexico and one in uh, the U.S. And the airline sold me a ticket from the Halifax airport at a time when they knew that the runway would be renovated. And the instrumental landing system, that's the system that makes sure that, that the aircraft can find the runway even in a fog, would be turned off. I mean, Halifax in the summer, fog is pretty much a normal way of being. So... Every person should have reasonably known that it would cause significant disruptions. They still sold the ticket and it caused me to be late 26 hours to my conference. That was the first case I've taken to smoke claims court myself and I won. Continental Airlines, the airline involved at the time, didn't even show up for the hearing and I got a default judgment. Ever since then, he's been fighting the airlines to ensure that he and other passengers have their rights respected. And Gabor believes that air travel is an industry that operates as an oligopoly. But he doesn't necessarily see that as a bad thing. The word oligopoly may be appropriate. I don't necessarily associate, even with the word monopoly, something pejorative. It's a description of a state. We have in the domestic market two major companies that still control a large portion of the domestic market, Air Canada and WestJet. But it's not like Canada is unique in that way. Even if you look at south of the border, I would still describe the situation which is far more competitive in Canada with far more choice, still like oligopolic market. Even in Europe, it is largely an oligopolic market, even though we have many, many airlines. The problem isn't so much that there's two dominant players. It's that the oligopoly has pushed hard to make sure that consumer protections remain weak. And even the ones that we do have rarely get enforced. And Gabor says things have actually been getting worse. Now, air travel is a highly regulated industry. The Canadian Transportation Agency has broad powers to deal with passenger complaints in the event that an airline fails to comply with the obligations set out in the airline's terms and conditions. And up until a few years ago, Gabor actually thought that the Canadian Transportation Agency was doing a relatively good job. 
the Canadian Transportation Agency has been functioning, as far as I could see, reasonably well until approximately 2013. They parachuted in an airline lobbyist to be an adjudicator member of the Canadian Transportation Agency. That has had a significant impact on how things began to work and things were going downhill from that point. It was around this time that Gabor began to believe that the regulator had become captured. And this is the central concept I want to talk to you about today. Regulatory capture refers to when a government oversight body that's supposed to be looking out for the interests of Canadians instead starts serving the interests of the companies it's supposed to regulate. And this happens for many reasons. Sometimes it's straight-up corruption, cash under the table, that kind of thing. But more often, the people who work inside the regulator simply sympathize with the companies. Maybe they used to work at those companies and they just see things from their perspective. Maybe they someday want to work at those companies and get a nice payday. Or maybe they just have a good interpersonal relationship with the lobbyists and executives. And when it comes to monopolized industries, regulatory capture is even more common. And even if the regulator does try to fight, these companies are so big and powerful that they can basically bulldoze the government. You can see all of this at play with the big telcos and the CRTC. And that's what we've been seeing with the Canadian Transportation Agency and the big airlines for the last decade. And the consequences of that capture have made flying a much worse experience in Canada, especially over the last few years. So let's start in 2019. For years, consumer advocates had been pushing governments to introduce an Air Traveler Bill of Rights to firm up the rights that passengers have when their flights are delayed or cancelled or when their luggage is lost or damaged. And the Liberals claimed to do that back in 2019 when they implemented that Air Passenger Protection Regulations. This included penalties for airlines up to $25,000 for every instance where they were caught breaking the rules. But right off the bat, there were some problems. For one, it's nearly impossible for a passenger to prove their case. Take the case of Daryl Geddes. Daryl was flying to, I believe it was the US, and uh, his flight was cancelled, and he was getting conflicting information about why it was cancelled. Air Canada would not have been rebooked him on a WestJet flight. Eventually, he was delayed something like five hours. According to the rules, if an airline rebooks you on a flight and you're delayed by more than three hours, you're entitled to 400 bucks, as long as the reasons for the flight's cancellation are within the airline's control. So Gettys filed a claim, and Air Canada denied it. And Air Canada was claiming that it was a knock-on effect of a previous cancellation, which was due to maintenance issues. So Gettys took them to small claims court. Now, the judge eventually ruled in favor of the airline. But in his judgment, he was absolutely scathing about the regulations. Quote, few individuals would undertake such efforts to seek a few hundred dollars in compensation. Even if they wanted to, fewer could undertake such a claim. Close to a thousand pages of paper were exchanged in a $400 claim. As the adjudicator so eloquently pointed out, more than 1,000 pages of paper were needed to decide the fate of a $400 claim. It really exposed how ill-conceived the APPR framework is. 
Gabor assisted Geddes in his claim, and he says the process was absurd. The biggest problem that I'm seeing now is that we have a system which requires so many pieces of information to validate a claim and to decide whether the airline did something right or wrong. It would work if we had only one claim a week to decide a case, sure. But when you multiply that amount of effort, amount of resources needed for dealing with a claim with the large quantity of passengers and large quantity of claims, it becomes unmanageable. The problem is that there are some ideas of what maybe politicians want, and there is perhaps an excessive trust in various bureaucrats who say, trust us, this wording is going to implement what you want. And then there are consumer advocates like myself who say, no, with the wording that you're putting here does the opposite of what you really want to do. And until there is such a catastrophic failure like what we have seen now over the holiday season, there's a tendency of to believe to government bureaucrats over to consumer advocates. And catastrophic failure was, of course, just around the corner. With the possible exception of September 11th, nothing has hit airlines or air travelers harder than the global COVID lockdown. But of course, there was the question of what to do about all the people who had already booked trips. The problem happened that passengers paid in advance for those flights and airlines have refused to refund the passengers' money. So the basic principle of contract is if I paid for a service, either you give me the service or give me back my money at the very least. That's, that's a common principle. While in Europe and in the United States, the regulators have been very firm and clear with airlines that they had to refund passengers, in Canada, the government embarked on a calculated disinformation campaign of the public to make people believe that airlines actually can keep their money and all passengers can get is some worthless vouchers. There was absolutely no basis for that. And documents that we have unearthed since then through court proceedings show that these were actually done, this by the government, to protect airlines' private financial interests and to defeat provincial law. Under provincial consumer protection laws, customers were entitled to full refunds. But the Canadian Transportation Agency, the federal regulator, went out and stated publicly that passengers were not entitled to any money, even though they absolutely were. Instead, the CTA said in its, quote, statement on vouchers, that airlines could offer passengers vouchers or credits for future travel as long as they didn't expire within an unreasonable time. And what's really shocking about this is that it goes against the precedents that the CTA itself had created. It has been a settled law since approximately 2004 that if an airline is unable to provide a flight, passenger has the right to obtain a refund in the original form of payment. In one of the decisions, the Canadian Transportation Agency even dubbed this a fundamental right of passengers. So now all of a sudden, when it was inconvenient for airlines, the Canadian Transport Agency said the opposite, and the government began to claim also that there was some kind of gap in the law that would purportedly allow airlines to keep passengers' money and not give it back. Let's me be clear, there has never been any gap. It was an invention by the government to save face politically. The Canadian Transportation Agency was arguing that the new regulations meant that Canadians were no longer entitled to refunds if their flights were straight up cancelled. And for Gabor, that was the last piece of evidence that the regulator was basically now just working for the airlines. The regulatory capture became evident in the refund saga. Before, it was just a strong 
suspicion, it became evident when, when a refund saga was happening because the Canadian Transportation Agency was just backpedaling on its own existing jurisprudence under well-established law. And the seeds of the next passenger disaster were being sown at the exact same moment. In March of 2020, March 15th to be exact, day that will live forever in infamy in the aviation domain, basically shut down aviation. They basically said nobody moves, can't fly anywhere, nobody gets on an airplane. You know, it's a pretty dark time. Pretty dark time for the industry. My name is John Gradick. I'm a uh, faculty lecturer at McGill University. I teach in the supply chain management program as well as in the aviation manager program. I've been involved in this business for close to 50 years. Everybody kind of, you know, stopped flying. The industry said, okay, now what do we do? We have, you know, 100,000 employees across the industry. Airports have another 50 or 60,000 employees. There's no revenue coming in. There's no flights flying. What do we do? So for a couple of weeks, they were basically trying to get the government to give some help here to kind of have us bridge the gap. They didn't know how long this was going to last. And none of that happened. The government said, you're on your own. So being on your own, you've got to go out and cut costs. And the easiest cost you can cut is people. And you can do it fairly quickly. You come into work today, and you don't come into work tomorrow. Air Canada dropped 20,000 people from one day to the next. WestJet dropped 10,000 people. Fast forward to 2021, the government finally says at that point in time, hmm, I think we may give you some money. And they came up you know, with a few billion dollars as a bridge for the airlines to basically keep going somehow, some way. The airlines did not use that money that it got to hire people back. They kept their staff levels low. They managed to get some operations going with the staff that remained. And that money, for the most part, was not used to, in fact, rebuild the muscle of the airline industry. Soon, restrictions began to ease and people started booking trips once again. The airlines reacted to that as, oh, goody, people are going to start flying. Let's put some airplanes back up in the air. They had pilots, they had some flight attendants, but they started to fly the butt off of these airplanes pretty hard. And people were buying tickets, people were flying, and the service level wasn't there. They were flying a lot of these airplanes into airports where there may have not been as much staff to handle those airports as they could have been. And it really got nasty in July and August, particularly at Pearson, Trudeau, and Vancouver airports where the airlines really cranked it up in terms of the utilization of their, of their aircraft and sold a lot of seats. People showed up, and guess what? The system just couldn't handle the volume. You know, the two worst airports in the world for those two, two months were Pearson and Trudeau. We were the worst airports in the world in terms of performance. You probably remember the chaos of it all. Enormous lines, flights being constantly rebooked, bags being lost. And once again, at a time when Canadians needed consumer protections more than ever, they were left with next to nothing. And airlines began to sell tickets as if this fact was not known and did not exist. They were selling tickets for flights they didn't have the pilots for, they didn't have the crew for. They were essentially trying to fly on promises, on hopes, on, on we hope that it is going to work out. And you cannot operate an airline that way. It is not feasible. They felt that they could avoid paying compensation for canceled flights because, oh, we're just going to blame the pandemic. Essentially, it, it was a situation when airlines knew or should have reasonably known that those flights could not be delivered as promised, and they nevertheless 
continue to sell and promise delivering the flights. I cannot believe, and I don't think anybody reasonably would believe that airlines did not perfectly well know this problem existed. And if they didn't know it by some miracle by March, they surely should know about it by May. Normally, if an individual or a business sells a product or service that they've absolutely no intention of delivering on, some people might call that kind of practice fraud. But for airlines, the system was set up to protect them not only from serious allegations like that, but even from paying basic compensation that the law required them to. And then you had what just happened a few weeks ago. And now we move to Christmas of 2022. Christmas happens to be the peak season of the air travel world. Fares are going through the roof. Planes are flying. Seats are full. Airplanes are full. And then we have a snowstorm. And that was a straw that broke the camel's back. And passengers were left holding the bag in Mexico and the Caribbean, waiting for guys like Sunwing to send rescue airplanes down. So the industry at this point in time is in uh, got a pretty interesting black eye. I'd probably say two black eyes. So I'm not sure what the next hit is going to be, but unless something is done to kind of fix the issues that they're facing right now, you know, they're going to get another round of slapping in the face. Now, no one's blaming the airlines for the weather. The problem is that passengers have so little recourse when these kinds of events happen. In the past five years, Tens and tens of thousands of passengers have complained to the regulator. And how many times have airlines been charged with not providing adequate compensation? Not once. WestJet was fined $11,000 stemming from a flight in January 2020, but that was only because they didn't even bother to reply to the complaints. And again, literally tens of thousands of people have complained, despite how onerous these processes can be. And the airlines do not make it easy to resolve these issues. You call an airline call, call center, and what's the typical response time that you get? You're there for seven or eight hours, you know, listening to tape, listening to this boring music track. And, and at the end of seven or eight hours, you hang up because you're not going to get anybody. Customer service was, was a price that Canadian travelers have paid, both in the summer as well as Christmas. The airlines basically have focused on profitability focused on revenue acquisition, profitability, keep the costs as low as you can. Let's not staff up our customer service operations. And let's just basically roll with the punches. And we won't pay fines. We won't pay compensation. We'll just push it away. And then we'll see, you know, hopefully our bottom lines will pick up. And that's what they're doing. At the end of the day, the Canadian Transportation Agency has demonstrated over and over again that they're more interested in protecting the airlines than in protecting passengers. And until they actually start enforcing the rules and regulations, little is likely to change. And the CTA has the ability under, under its act to fine airlines for noncompliance with the regulations, up to $25,000 per incident. How do I get your attention, airlines? I slap a whole bunch of $25,000 fines, and I can guarantee you behavior will change very quickly. There's got to be a different way to handle these types of situations and for, one, the CTA to enforce it, but two, dealing with, you know, how do you deal with people's complaints about the way they've been treated for cancellations and for delays? Both John and Gabor point to Europe as an example for Canada to follow. 
the two strengths of the European regime are that in the Europe, payment of compensation is the standard. Non-payment is the exception. The airline has to actually prove with evidence that there were extraordinary circumstances, such as a volcanic eruption, act of sabotage, act of terrorism, aircraft being grounded for manufacturing defect, or the like, that was unexpected, entirely outside a normal day-to-day business operation of airlines that caused the flight delay or cancellation before they are off the hook from paying compensation to passengers. And the other strength is that in Europe, the passenger doesn't have the onus of first seeking compensation from the airline. The airline has to pay without even the passenger asking for it. We've got it backwards in terms of how we deal with the, with the aviation industry. Waiting 18 months for your complaint is not a, is not a situation that I consider you know, efficient or well-run. The regulations were written in a way that you, know, you kind of suspect that the airlines have a great deal of influence in the regulations because the exceptions of payment for, for compensation on delays or, or cancellations is phenomenal. Airlines aren't the only companies in Canada that have captured their regulator. It happens in all kinds of sectors for all kinds of reasons. But what makes air travel so astonishing is just how blatant it's been. Remember back in March 2020, when the Canadian Transportation Agency gave the airlines carte blanche to not issue customers refunds? Today, we know that just days before they made that announcement, those exact measures were requested by the airlines. And we have the emails to prove it. So that disinformation campaign telling passengers that they have to take vouchers and they are entitled to refunds was directly asked for by primarily Air Transit and Air Canada. Right now, the government is under immense pressure to once again update the rules around consumer protections for air travelers. But unless they can get their own regulator to follow those rules, little is going to change. That's your episode of Commons. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. This episode relied on work done by Gabor Lukacs, Steve McKinley at the Toronto Star, Christopher Reynolds in the Canadian Press, Sean Boynton and Aaron Dandria in Global News, and many, many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, arshi at canadaland.com. This episode was produced by me and Jordan Cornish, with additional production by Noor Azria. Our production coordinator is Andre Pruhl, and our music is by Nathan Burley. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. 
And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. And you'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join.